Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And now we are talking about Ukraine. Our next guest is an an analyst, a global affairs analyst. And he joins us from Kyiv. And this is to talk about how it's been six months since that Russian war on Ukraine began. And Prime Minister Trudeau said from the beginning that our country was going to do whatever it took to stop Putin. But my guest says we're not. He says Canada is falling short. Let's welcome to the program Michael Bociorku, a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Hello, Michael. Hi, good morning. Good to be with you. Oh, it's so great of you to join us. Now, you've just published this op-ed in the Globe and Mail that says the federal government has bungled the Ukraine crisis from the beginning. How so? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I tried not to uh, mince words in that op-ed, and I said they bungled it from the get-go. And, um, you know, at the start, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau was saying that Sanctions are a sharper weapon or a sharper tool than uh, selling lethal, sending lethal weaponry to Ukraine. Well, that turned out to be the wrong policy decision. Uh, the Russians, for the longest time, had been inoculating themselves against Western sanctions. And we're not seeing the impact that they were supposed to have. And then when it finally dawned on Ottawa that, yeah, it should um, agree to Mr. Zelensky's uh, appeals to send lethal weaponry, they were behind quite a few other Western nations. And at the moment, um, what's happening, there is training going on, there are lethal weapons flowing, but um, I'm told that um, by a former um, Canadian ambassador to Ukraine that uh, the Ukrainians are desperately waiting from Canada for these so-called super bison. These are armored personnel personnel carriers, very, very advanced. Um, And Canada has promised 39 of them they still haven't been sent. Uh, Canada has also uh, promised um, high-definition cameras for those really cool and successful Bayekter drones that Ukraine is using to knock out Russian forces. So, the other quickly, the other quick thing is uh, I, I'm appalled, as I'm sure many Canadians are. By the way, uh, Canadian um, staff at the embassy here were treated. These are Ukrainian nationals, who some of them have been working at the embassy for many, many years. Canada, in the run-up to the war, was informed by intelligence sources, reliable intelligence, that they, they could very well end up on Russian kill list should the Russians invade. Ottawa's decision was to not only um, withhold this information from those Ukrainian staff members, but also to not even agree to move them to safer ground, for example, the of Ukraine or Poland. So uh, one, the, one other thing, of course, is the debacle over those uh, turbine generators that Canada was repairing, it it tinkered with its own sanctions to return these to Russia via Germany. So how can we call those sanctions watertight if Ottawa's tinkering with them to that extent? Now, why do you think there was that turnaround with the Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline? I think there was a lot of pressure uh, from Germany on uh, Ottawa. You saw the German defense minister even made a trip to Canada recently. And, um, you know, I think uh, from Ottawa's perspective, uh, we know from reporting um, in Canada that there were concerns over jobs in Quebec, 
where, by the way, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie is from. And I think um, there was also a concern, although I don't really buy into this, is that if the turbines weren't provided, if the Russians were to cut off gas, then our European friends and allies would shiver in the dark, so to speak. But uh, what happened at the end is Russia didn't even accept the turbine, so it made Canada look pretty foolish. Um, it's, there are a lot of these policy steps that I've talked about boggles the mind, and it makes me sad as a Canadian. I've worked all over the world, including for Canada. Again, how we treat our local staff at embassies, not only here in, in Kiev, but also a year ago when um, Kabul and Afghanistan fell, a lot of the staff at the embassy there uh, were left to fend for themselves. What do you think of the other sanctions, though? Well, you know, we're uh, a middle power at best, so whatever we decide will not have the biggest impact um, on Russia. It's really where the financial systems are controlled, places like the United States and Germany. But, you know, to Canada's credit, uh, we have been part of the alliance that Washington led to uh, stand up to Russia. Uh, we've uh, sanctioned many individuals as well. But I think we will we haven't seen sharper measures taken. And what I mean by that is, for example, Canada, I think, is one of the few Western countries that hasn't expelled any Russian diplomats. Um, And I don't think I buy into the argument that they're all doing diplomatic work while they're in Canada. Uh, And the other one is there's talk now of um, banning Russian tourists from coming uh, to Western countries. Uh, They can still enter Canada through third countries, And uh, I think we need to take a firmer stand on that because, you know, when you think about it, it's really the elites around Mr. Putin and the kind of Moscow and St. Petersburg elites that can really travel who have foreign passports. So um, if we were to put in those restrictions on travel, I don't think it would really hit the average uh, Russian person if we were concerned about that. Haven't almost all the world leaders had to be more diplomatic, obviously, than they'd like to with Putin because he is so erratic? He, he behaves like a tyrant, and then he's made these thinly veiled yeah. threats regarding nuclear warfare. Well, I think we've uh, all come to realize that no matter what kind of rhetoric is used, Mr. Putin doesn't pay attention. And then even though if we're restrained, and yes, there are concerns that, concerns that he does control a nuclear weapon um, arsenal, Uh, also chemical and biological weapons, and he could very well use them. But, you know, he just seems to get more and more out of control. And that's why, for example, there are calls now for Canada to lead the rest in charge to declare Russia a state-sponsored terrorism. Uh, I mean, he's talking about a closer alliance with North Korea, for example, with other states led by dictators. So um, he he has uh, weaponized energy. He's weaponized food and he's weaponized migration. So how far do we let him go? How far do we let him hold us hostage to these things, especially what he's doing with uh, blockading Ukrainian ports and um, causing starvation or near starvation in many countries? Fortunately, Odessa, the port here, has been open because of uh, you know very savvy negotiations by the UN and Turkey, but it shows you what kind of leverage he has, and these, these types of actions lead to death. You mentioned it there yourself that Canada is a middle power at best then. So how much more can we flex our clout? I think we, look, we are middle power, but we're a respected middle power, especially because our values, the values that we we defend and we 
subscribe to. So uh, the other thing we could do is encourage other uh, Western allies to tighten, tighten sanctions further and make sure that they stick. And uh, as I said, deny Russian visas and press G7 in EU countries to, to do the same. Um, I think it's also important, as I stated in the Global Mail article, you know, our diplomats need to be on the ground here in Ukraine. A lot of diplomats have returned from other countries. A lot of aid workers, folks like me, are here. And yet um, our embassy is pretty much shuttered, padlocked at the moment. Um, and a lot of other Western embassies are fully operational. We need an embassy here fully operational, not only to assist the growing Canadian community coming back here, you know, they need consular services, but also to um, accelerate the processing of those emergency visas for Ukrainians seeking shelter in Canada. I am told now that there are waits of up to three months for those so-called emergency visas to be issued. People, millions of people here are in dire straits and they need uh, safe haven in countries like Canada. So that's something we could make, we could move very quickly on by assigning more staff and getting rid of some of the barriers. Okay, so have those uh, embassies, have the Canadian embassy reopened. Uh, you mentioned yeah. there that, and also in your article, you stated that the a lot of the other countries have opened their embassies. So what's the wait with Canada? Michael, thank you so much for your perspective today. My pleasure, and greetings to British Columbia, my home province. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks so much, Michael.